We are studying the teachings that Moses gave to Israel as they were camped at the base of Mount Sinai. These teachings described the character of God, how he was to be worshipped, not just in form, but in heartfelt reality, and how they were to live so that individually and corporately they displayed to the world what it meant to be God's people. Last week, we looked at the extraordinary laws concerning sabbatical years and the year of Jubilee, as given in Leviticus 25. These laws were given to maintain the integrity of the community and economy, as well as the protection of the environment. Every seventh year was to be a sabbatical year, or Sabbath of years, in which debts were canceled, debt servitude of kinsmen ended, and the land allowed to lie fallow. Every seventh sabbatical year was to be a year of jubilee, in which all normal sabbatical year requirements were fulfilled, and in addition, any property sold in the previous 49 years was to revert to the original owners, and any Hebrews held in slavery by non-Hebrews in their midst were to be freed. Additional important social laws were given in the last verses of Leviticus 25. For example, if a loan was made to a poor person, little or no interest was to be charged. In addition, an Israelite could sell himself to another Israelite in order to pay off a debt, but he had to be treated as a hired servant and released at Jubilee. No Israelite could enslave another Israelite. However, as stated in verse 44, slaves could be acquired from surrounding pagan peoples. Such slaves would not be released at Jubilee. That these slaves were not to be mistreated is clearly implied in Deuteronomy 23.15, where we read, You shall not hand over to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. Obviously, if one wanted to keep his slave, he had to treat him well, so that he wouldn't run away. Slaves within Israel had opportunity to come to faith in Yahweh. This might be their only opportunity to really see the faith of God and to be drawn to it. Finally, if a non-Israelite living in Israel acquired an Israelite slave. That slave could be redeemed at any time by himself or his relatives, and in any case was to be released at Jubilee. The reason for these social laws and the authority behind them are summarized in Leviticus 25.55. For the sons of Israel are my servants. They are my servants whom I brought out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The Israelites were to be constantly aware that they were the servants of the true God. As such, they were to exhibit the character of God to one another and to the surrounding pagan nations by willing obedience to God's commandments. They were to be fair because God is fair. They were to be just because God is just. They were to be compassionate upon the unfortunate because God is compassionate. They were to be kind 
because God is kind. In so doing, they would be a powerful witness to Yahweh. The parallel for us is obvious. If our words of witness are not backed up by a Christ-like lifestyle, it would be better that we keep our mouths shut. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to his disciples, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The Christ-like lifestyle is the light of the world in that it gives a platform for the verbal proclamation of the Word of God. If we don't live our lives in such a manner as people see the reality and the truth of Jesus Christ in the way we live, then we have no basis to proclaim the Word of God. That is why it's so important that we always live in a manner that reflects Jesus as He lives in us to the world around us. Leviticus 26 is an important chapter also. Knowing human nature, God brought all His instructions into clear focus by informing Israel of the blessings for obedience and the consequences for disobedience. A beautiful picture of divine blessing is given in Leviticus 26, verses 1 to 13. You shall not make for yourselves idols, nor shall you set up for yourselves an image or a sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season, so that the land will yield its produce, and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape-gathering, and grape-gathering will last until sowing time. You will thus eat your food to the full, and live securely in your land. I shall also grant peace in the land so that you may lie down with no one making you tremble. I shall also eliminate harm beasts, harmful beasts from the land, and no sword will pass through your land. But you will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. So I will turn toward you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. And you will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you. My soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God. You shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you should not be their slaves. And I broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. This is a beautiful description of a condition that is as close to Eden as was possible in the fallen world. As we noticed in this particular passage, the food would flow freely and there would always be plentiful and that there would be safety in the land because the enemies would be held out or would be easily uh, chased away. 
and more importantly than all, God said he would dwell among his people and that he would walk among them and be their God and that they would be his people. This is the blessing of obedience. This is the, uh, the uh, product of a life committed to obeying the word of God and obeying the commandments as they were given there on the top of Mount Sinai. However, if the Israelites became complacent, careless, or rebellious, the picture was very different. And we see this as we read further in this same chapter, beginning at verse 14, down to verse 22. But if you do not obey me, and do not carry out all these commandments, if instead you reject my statutes, and if your soul abhors my ordinances, so as not to carry out all my commandments, and so break my covenant, I in turn will do this to you. I will appoint over you a sudden terror, consumption and fever, that shall waste away the eyes and cause the soul to pine away. Also you shall sow your seed uselessly, for your enemy shall eat it up. And I will set my face against you, so that you shall be struck down before your enemies, and those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when no one is pursuing you. If also, after these things, you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins, and I will also break down your pride of power. I will also make your sky like iron and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent uselessly, for your land shall not yield its produce, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. If then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. And I will let loose among you the beasts of the field, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your cattle and reduce your number so that your roads lie deserted. Verses 23 to 39 of this chapter carry on in the same vein, pointing out the tragedy of disobedience. However, God's mercy shines through even this dark picture. If the Israelites did rebel, and all these listed disasters did befall them, they would not find themselves totally hopeless if they would confess their sin and repent. Reading the same chapter, beginning at verse 40. If they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their forefathers in their unfaithfulness which they committed against me, and also in their acting with hostility against me, I also was acting with hostility against them to bring them into the land of their enemies, or if their uncircumcised heart becomes humbled so that they then make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will remember also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham as well. And I will remember the land. For the land shall be abandoned by them and shall make up for its Sabbaths while it is made desolate without them. They meanwhile shall be making amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. 
Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will remember for them the covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and ordinances and laws which the Lord established between himself and the sons of Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai. The final chapter of Leviticus, chapter 27, is a bit of an enigmatic chapter. Many of the scholars studying this are not positive about all the details, but it seems to deal with valuation in silver of animals and people or land that is dedicated to the Lord through a free will vow. How much silver was to be given in redemption is listed or was to be determined by the priest. It seems that it was free, people freely could freely uh, dedicate themselves to the Lord for a certain period of time and then they could redeem that time to work their own land and raise their own family by paying a certain amount of silver which would be listed in this particular chapter or if it were a particular person or event, animal, piece of land where the valuation is not given in this passage then it was up to the priest to give that valuation. Now Israel did not live in a typical money economy as we think of it. They were more in a barter, barter economy but because of the Levites who carried out most of the duties of the tabernacle, the service of a particular person committed to, who committed himself to God as a free will offering could be converted into silver, and that silver would be used to help finance the ongoing ministry of the tabernacle. We find in the New Testament that Anna was a temple servant, someone who had committed herself to the service of the temple, particularly for the purposes of prayer. And this, of course, was probably the most valuable thing that these people could do. Next week, we're going to be looking at the book of Numbers. And we'll be looking at Israel as Israel prepares to leave Mount Sinai. And Moses will pick up the narrative. We had the narrative in the book of Exodus. We have Leviticus as, as kind of a statement of the law of what Israel is going to live by and how they were going to worship God in, in the wilderness as they would now begin their journey from Mount Sinai towards the land of Canaan. A journey that should have taken them a mere year at the very most, probably just a few months, but because of their rebellion at the borders of Canaan, they ended up wandering around in the wilderness for another 39 years. And so the book of Numbers will pick up the narrative that uh, was ended there in the book of Exodus and will carry it on until we get to the land of Canaan and Moses dies and Joshua will pick up the leadership of the people.